0: millennials
1: aren't the problem they just expose all the problems that. if you look at the things that they want more than anything else they tend to make sense you're listening to the flip my funnel podcast a daily podcast dedicated to helping b2b marketing sales and customer success professionals become masters of their craft it's monday and in these episodes you'll hear sangram interview incredible practitioners Thought leaders and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go.
0: Sangram, you're welcome to another fun episode of Flip Buffalo Podcast. Today, unlike many other days, I have the person I'm interviewing with me in the same room. It's always really, really fun. And guess what? We don't have microphones or anything like that. We are literally recording in a MacBook Pro and Zoom. And guess what? It still works. It still works just like anything else. So you don't need to, if you want to have great conversations, great people, you can do that. I get that question all the time. One of the things that I have done as we built Terminus from three co-founders to 200 plus people is that hiring has been one of the biggest area where I personally spend time and thinking about because if you have the right people, you you can move the ship anyway. Everybody knows that. So I got today the millennial whisperer, Christoph, who wrote an incredible book. I I just fell in love with it. Amy introduced us. And then that day you gave me two books. I went and actually read the book and I'm like, man, there's just so many nuggets. We got to talk about this. How do we lead the next
1: leaders in your organization? So Chris, Welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. And also in person, this is like, I feel like I've probably done over 500 media interviews and four have been in person. So this is nice. <laughs> this is nice. This is going to be all
0: conversation. We just get into it. So share a little bit about like who you are, what sure. you got
1: you into this and, and a fun fact so people get to know it a little bit. Yeah. So one thing I, I like to emphasize is one of the best things that ever happened to me was my, I was never set up with my first job interview. So graduated, top of my, you know, not top of my class, but enough that I wasn't embarrassed at Vanderbilt, huge ego, went out into the world. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had 64 failed job interviews. 64. 64 until lucky 65. Yeah. That it was through that getting punched in the face, (laughs) essentially 64 times that It was this natural selection to a place that I call it kind of the Plinko game of Mm -hmm. life where it was kind of close to my passion and purpose, which I I told I'd never done any uh, inner kind of work around. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was lucky 65 and it was for a digital ad firm in 2003. I was the 13th employee at Moxie Interactive. Mm -hmm. And I got there and uh, it was interesting because I started as an account, account coordinator and then I moved from account coordinator. I was like, Hey, this kind of, I don't know if I like this that much. So I made a lateral move over to a copywriter. I was mm. a creative copywriter for two years. I didn't like that that much. And then I kind of I kind of fell into this weird space right as social media was coming about. Yeah. So what year was this? So this was 2005, going into 2006, pre-YouTube. Oh, my. We were working directly with Mark Zuckerberg as Facebook went from colleges to a national level. We were working with our client, Verizon. And I fell into this weird zone as this stuff was being born. And I had uh, Chris Pinto, who's also from Atlanta. She came to me with Joel Lunenfeld, who I... That I dedicated yeah. my book to both of them because they were the first, you know, really great leaders I've yeah. been around. And they were like, "Chris, if you get a viral video, we're going to give you your own department." And <laughs> I was like, uh, "Okay, awesome, I'll do that. It's a viral video." <laughs> and they were like, "Well, if you get a million views of a video, it's a viral video." So at that time in 2006, a million, a million views because it was pre-YouTube, yeah. were no algorithm. But, but still, a million views is a lot of it views. It was a lot then, of yeah. views. Yeah. So it was right around that time that I had been patiently waiting to get engaged to my wife. So okay. it had been four months that uh, I'd met her. And so four months after meeting her, I was like, I got to put a ring on it and we're both coincidentally identical twins. And <laughs> so I had this ring burning a hole in my pocket and I had this challenge and I was like, okay, well, I, I don't have the patience to fly in our identical twins to be a part of this whole thing. I'm gonna film it yeah. and I'll send them a copy of the video. Yeah. And one of my friends was a cameraman for the real world, back yeah. when the real world was really big. And I was like, Brian, you gotta film this engagement of me. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna be running down Valley Road. I'm gonna pretend to sprain my ankle. I'm gonna go from spraining my ankle to popping the question with my girlfriend. Yeah. What do you think? He was like, awesome. So he put a wireless mic on me, at a certain telephone pole, I did that. I yeah. pretended to sprain my ankle. She laughed at me, made fun of me, and then I popped the question. And she did what? Did she know that you're recording all she of this? Had no idea. Oh man! And so uh, it was a scale of emotion in a three and a half minute clip that the internet hadn't really seen before. Yeah. So I put it on ChristopherTough dot com. Four days later. We got a call from the server guy saying that the bandwidth was so ridiculous. Yeah. How did I want to pay for this? <laughs> and what did I want to do? Because I was getting 100,000 views every hour and it was double. It wasn't every on every YouTube. It was no, because the there wasn't such a thing. Yeah. And um, so I was like, let her rip. And so we ended up getting seven, over 7 million views. Good Morning America flew down. Yeah. And then I actually branded our wedding, doublemintwedding.com, and created a website out of it. That got us on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And my wife at one point was like, Chris, I'm, she was a pro soccer player yeah. and a really well-known one played for the Atlanta beat. And she and her twin were both really well-known. She's like, I'm getting more recognition for <laughs> this viral video. Chris. <laughs> and I use that in, in speeches and, you know, one that life needs to be a ruthless pursuit of our own passion. Yes. And, you know, but two, usually you get those signs that you're in that place when ridiculous things happen. And be patient. I tell young people this: be patient until you find it. Go ahead and make those five lateral moves, making twenty eight thousand dollars a yeah. year. That's okay. what I did. It's okay because yeah. what will come out of it is something much greater. And you know that kind of that really gave me my foundation, which I built. You know uh, what brought me to where I'm a partner, twenty two yeah. squared. And it was three years ago that I had kind of hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. I, I was the Doing tons in the social media and digital yeah. space, and you know flying all over the place, I'd lost sight of I think what was really important to me mm. and uh, my metric of success was off, which was beating my brothers at the game of life <laughs> and anyone that has a metric of success it's like yeah. the worst one you could have uh, I feel you. I feel it so during that time i i i I made a big change, which was changing that metric to uh, success will be actually determined on a daily basis versus a yearly or quarterly basis. And it will be when my head hits the pillow, did I have the impact that I intended to have today for the amount of energy I gave out? Did I have the impact I intended? And three years later, I can say I've been successful every single night going to bed. And you know, that also instigated a big change within me From being the tip of the spear, tip of the arrow of our organization to being more of that servant leader to lead from behind. And it reoriented everything that I did around two main tenets, which Mm. is empathy and connection. Mm. And so everything, my own purpose is to inspire and connect. And everything that I'm doing out in the world is about creating more empathy and connection. Love that. And so, you know, it was through some of this. I was like, oh my gosh! Like, you know, I I went back to a little bit of my roots, but I wasn't coming up with the ideas anymore. Yeah. I was just instigating it within my the people. And yeah. I looked around, and you know, we're three hundred and seventy employees, much like you guys, yeah. and ninety percent millennials. And yeah. I was on an executive retreat, introducing myself, and it came to me standing up around these really well known executives. Fourteen of them, probably average age about. Forty-five to fifty years old. I was like, I don't know what I do anymore. Yeah, but I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer, <laughs> and uh, it was because you're doing that as part of your I'm coaching and leading exactly. the team internally and talking to them every exactly, day. and it was working. Yeah, people were happier. People were staying longer. Yeah, uh, you know, spirits were. we were recruiting some of the best talent mm. around, and uh, it was funny. After doing that, I sat down after sharing kind of my story and history and some of my own challenges with these other guys. They were like, so Chris, tell me some of the things that you do. You know, yeah. I'm having a hard time. One of my good friends, Bert Weiss, was like, Yeah, like, Chris, tell me some of the things. Yeah. He he has the Bert show on q 100 And uh, he was like, Yeah, tell me some of the things you do, Chris, like, seriously. Yeah. And so I told him a couple of the things. They're like, I cannot believe you do that. And it was three weeks later, Bert and two other guys in the group called me. They're like, Chris, I started implementing some of those things. <laughs> and it works. works. Yeah. It really works. And that's when. I, I turned to uh, Tommy Breedlove, who mm-hmm. was leading this retreat and was kind of the one that said I had to write the book. Yeah. I turned to him and I was like, OK, so I think I'm ready to write this book, but I have no idea where to start. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was almost one year ago today that the book was published. And wow. You know, we've, I think, sold close to 100,000 copies and um, working with some of the world's most renowned. Yeah, you be going to
0: like Nike and yeah. speaking to them and stuff.
1: So so yeah.
0: so that's where we're at. Huge story, huge. So, for again, uh, we'll have links in the, the show notes to the book for you to check out. One of the things that you mentioned in the book was the one, first of all, this is your largest generation of people in the workforce today and it continues to grow. And I think I would almost go and say that you're not just talking about millennials, you're talking about also all the other generations that come along with that younger one, as you said earlier. One of the things that here, and I think you had it, that's why I love your book. You have a bunch of myths that you are, you're debunking, debunking one by one, very clearly. And one of the myths is that they're unmanageable.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I hear that sadly, that, I don't know what to do with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't, they, like, I they just can't, like, I just can't give them a task and do it. Like, it is unmanageable. And I, I always scratch my mind, like, what does that even mean when you say unmanageable? They're like, like wild animals that are like, you know, going, sure. what does
1: that mean? So can you debunk that? I will debunk it. So, you know, one of the biggest things that I love saying um, at the beginning of any conversation is millennials aren't the problem. They just expose all the problems. And so what I say that again, one more time. Millennials aren't the problem, they just expose all the problems. If you look at the things that they want more than anything else, they tend to make sense. Mm -hmm. All right. And so we have five generations in the workforce right now. And I'm not saying that we need to cater towards millennials. Yeah. What I'm saying is that we need to use some of their needs as a Mm -hmm. place to change the way that we are working because we are so quick to adapt. To technology, yeah. look at Instagram stories and some of these things that we do all every day as a mm. part of our habits. But yet we're so slow to change the way that we run our organizations. Yes. and so if you were to break it down statistically, according mm. to the 2018 now 2019 Deloitte Millennial Survey, mm. the first three things that millennials are looking for from leaders because mm. this is a leadership podcast, yeah. right? Yes. All right. Perfect. So the first one is inspirational leadership. And I love inspirational leadership because if you ask any leader, hey, are you an inspirational leader? Most of them will say yes. Yeah,
0: of course. So yeah,
1: and you go to these guys and it's like, hey, Bob, the millennials think that the number one thing they want is inspirational leadership. Bob, do you consider yourself an inspirational leader? Bob will say, heck yeah, man. They light up, they laugh at my justice. Like, thanks, Bob. Then you go to two people on Bob's team and you're like, Charlie and and Sarah, do you think Bob is an inspirational leader? Our first question back is, is bob gonna find out if i tell you the truth <laughs> <laughs> and it's like bob's not gonna find out and they will quickly say heck no he's not you, you know, know he's man. not inspirational it's really like self-denial um, totally and that's also why i created the millennial leadership assessment which yeah. is a 360 assessment that takes all of this data that comprised the book i yeah. went directly with vanderbilt to to come up with all these things yeah and uh what it does is it breaks it eight tenets of what it takes to be a leader today one of them being inspirational leadership Mm -hmm. you know and inspirational leadership when we talk about that it's more about a lot of introverted leaders would be like well i'm never going to be inspirational because i'm an introvert it's like no actually there's some things that you can start doing one of those places more than anything is your your people just want to feel connected to you on a personal level yep and so tactically, what I'll say to everyone is you've got to take down that guard. Mm-hmm. And I, in a controversial way, will say, go ahead and connect with your people on social media. And, yeah. and solely so you can take a vested interest in them, not mm-hmm. so they can take a vested interest in you. They don't care what yeah. you did this this weekend.
0: is so anti- Ego, totally. Anti, like I'm. I have a corner office. Exactly. Uh, anti, you know, you, you're thinking like, well, if I call a meeting or I send an email, people should respond immediately. It's it's almost totally. the opposite
1: mindset of it's like, what are you doing for them? A, a hundred percent. And on a Monday, you can go in and say, Meg, that cat you adopted is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Tell yeah. me more about it, She's which is to... a lot better. Hey, Meg, how was your weekend? Good weekend. Okay. Can I get that report back? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's, that's not, we, they want to create a real connection. Connection. You know, the other tactic that I talk about and I use Mike Hibison, who is uh, vice president at the Home Depot as one of the examples is he starts all his one-on-ones with mm. do you want to talk about life or you want to talk about work? And 80% of the time, they talk, want to talk about life. And it's through that connection that people can actually talk about real life stuff and the work gets done. They're a lot always more. Do. It always does. We're always on. We always have our phone. Yeah. But if you lead through connection first yeah. and do it not to be a quote unquote inspirational leader, yeah. but to do it to create a real connection, I think you'll find that. Yeah. The rewards are much greater. The other thing I talk a lot about is rewards and recognition. Mm. And you know, the one thing I don't want to put off in the wrong way is that there is a meeting in the middle here, right? There's a lot of things that have changed in our society, social media being one of them, mm. that I'm not saying that we have to adapt all of our ways. What I'm saying is that we need to think about things differently. And you mm. look at even social media, how, especially the younger millennials and now Gen Z, mm-hmm. what that's done to their, they are more needy. Yeah. And it's because of anytime they wanted that validation, yeah. they put something out into the world and they got it immediately. Yeah. And if they didn't get it, they would just take it down. They didn't get the 120 likes or whatever it is. They know it's working or it's not working immediately. And guess what? Our peers are the same way. Right. And I think this this is where I love
0: your book in this part where I feel like a lot of what people would say instant gratification around all of these things, I'm looking at that as that, yeah, but like. The idea of like the best example of like the feedbacks, mm-hmm. right? Like I remember working at Deloitte. I used to work for Deloitte, we said the survey. I used to work for like the company. And I remember, yeah, it has to be a quarterly or year, not quarterly, yearly review. And I wait for this yearly review to happen totally. so I would know how I'm doing. Yeah. As opposed to what I actually want today. And I don't care if I'm millennial or not, like I just want to know how I'm doing. Yep. Just tell me how I'm doing like, don't wait until the one-on-one, like, you know, I
1: don't even wait for the next week's one-on-one. Just All come right. and tell me, just talk to me. And feedback can be positive people, yeah. right? Like have it be real time. Great. And feedback can be positive. And somewhere in the book that uh, uh, I forget uh, who put it out there, but they put it on a quote on like a picture that was uh praise in public yeah. and yeah. condemned yeah. in private. private, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's not, a lot of these things are common sense, but like, let's build our people up. Yeah. Let's create an environment where people can thrive. And in that feedback, I talk about doing it in real time, but also create the, create a better sandwich, go in, talk about what they did well, don't use, but use, and, and so if it's someone making a speech, for example, say, oh, uh, Meg, great job putting yourself out there. I know that was the first time you did it in front of a big audience, in front of our client. And I was Taking a few notes, and there's a couple things I feel like you can improve upon. You yeah. said like 32 times, you said but, whatever yeah. it is. And then you go in and you then go with, and I love Seriously, that. Meg, awesome job. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. It's going to get better. Yeah. And so, Meg is going to go like that. It's like, this is so good. Like, yeah. I can do this. And even if it's tough feedback, yeah. if you do it in real time, they're a lot more receptive. Yeah. And it, what's funny is now working with some of these big, famous corporations we do a millennial panel after mm. i do my keynote mm. and they will sit and it's a very transparent conversation mm. with the leaders on one side and a panel of young workers sitting up there they're being straight and deep. the one thing is like we hate waiting for our one-on-ones to for you to tell us everything we're doing wrong we're totally receptive yeah. to harsh critical feedback yeah. just make sure it's more real time yeah don't let
0: it brew. Don't yeah, let it like. Exactly.
1: Because yeah. that's what conditions us to, like, oh no, I'm getting called to his office. Yeah. Or our office again. Here
0: we go. One of the things that, so I, you know, from day one never had an office and I still don't have an office. And I hate the idea of an office because I think it puts a wall between me and every, everybody else. So I would just take my laptop and sit next to whoever and I get to learn a lot more about it. And if I have one on ones, I would just take a lap around the building because then then um it's it's just a different environment i've just felt a sense of like every time i had any meeting behind a closed door there is a sense of tension and there's the openness just goes away it's like me against you like even where you sit i feel has a big impact when you sit are you, are you sitting like right across the person now you're talking like you're you're the manager and totally or versus sitting next to them and having a conversation a world of difference a hundred
1: percent and yeah I mean I, I always use this example like I don't have a door on my office yeah for an I mean for a real reason I love that not so, even had no, it. no off. I mean seriously and. and it, so I think it's also important. So if number one is, is inspirational leadership. Yeah. The number two thing is autonomy. Mm-hmm. And then the number three thing is transparency. Mm-hmm. And I can jump into those two quickly, because I think it's important for listeners to understand it. what it is that they mean by that. Yeah. Now, so in autonomy, one of my favorite examples in all of the research that I did, I had to get some qualitative pieces. So mm-hmm. I went to Google. Mm. And I said, number one boss for millennials. Mm. And sure enough, Ben Kirshner in Philadelphia, who has a very large marketing um, kind of advertising SEO company, uh, was called out by Forbes as the number one boss for millennials. So I called Ben up and I was like, Ben, I'm writing this book. Yeah. Tell me what you think about this idea of autonomy, because I think it's oftentimes misinterpreted. Yes. And he said, Chris, have you ever heard of the campaign by Under Armour and they talk about protect this house? I was like, mm. Yeah, vaguely, tell me yeah. more. He was like, Well, anytime I get in front of my people, I say that you, more than anyone else, mm. have a house that is worth protecting. And it's up to you to protect this house. Mm. If there's a bad culture fit, it's up to you to yeah. spit them out. If it's Unlimited paid vacation, it's up to you mm. to actually cover for one another. But mm. I am giving you all the autonomy mm. to protect this house. Mm. And so the first thing I ask a lot of corporations or their young people is do you have a house that's worth protecting? Yeah. And a lot of times they, they don't, don't feel protect- it. And so, you know, I think that in uh is a really important piece. And then the other thing is transparency. And so transparency. What people mean by transparency isn't what I call the two sides of transparency, Mm -hmm. right? But on the far right, You've got financial transparency, yeah. which is, oh, man, I don't want to tell everyone how much money everyone makes or yeah. what our profit margin is. Like, it's not that. Yeah. Or people go to the other side of the spectrum and they are they think it's vulnerability. Mm. And they're like, I'm not going to cry in front of my people. Like, Renee yeah. Brown, I like her and everything, but like, yeah. I'm not going there. It's yeah. like, no, it's not that either. Right. What they want by transparency is they want context. Mm. Why are you making the decisions that you are making put together the puzzle pieces of why you're taking the actions that you love that. are. And for whatever, once again, following tradition, we hate admitting where we go wrong. If we mm. lose a new business pitch or if we don't get the sale that we wanted, let's dissect it and talk about what we did wrong, but also how everyone contributed to the learnings of that. So I love that. transparency is context. And if you uh, go ahead and start interpreting that. So those are kind of the big three and, and, you know, I wrote the book to be, listen, I understand most people don't read books. <laughs> I, having given away almost 10,000 copies of this book, I've recognized that only about 30% of the people end up reading them. But mm-hmm. I, I created the make it happen section at the end of each chapter. Mm-hmm. So it's like, listen, you don't have to just, read the story. Yeah, Just, just go. Get just, to just, it. Just, read, <laughs> just read the make it happen. section.
0: Well, I mean, and they are great. They are great. I have, I'm one of those people who's like, well, I have a whole bunch of books and before every podcast, and if it's, I want to read it because I want to know where the heart of this is. And it's very clear that you put a lot of heart in this book. So it's it's beautiful. So we try to keep it to like 25, 30 That's minutes our- right between like your workouts and whatnot. So this is this is it. So I had a whole bunch of other questions, but man, I think you've given me so much already. So I'm gonna summarize maybe two or three really big ideas. And then I want, Chris, for you to give a challenge to everybody who's listening because everybody. Everybody has this team. Everybody has to figure this thing out. And I don't know if people really know, how am I doing? Like, how do I, how do I figure out how, where, where we are? So big ideas for me. I love when you started saying that life has to be a pursuit of your passions. So I feel like when I talk to everybody in the organization around different things, when I talk about my passion, I light up. When somebody talks about their passion, they light up. So I look for those lightning moments throughout the company. It's like, what makes Jen light up? Like what and, I, and if I don't get that two, three times, I would go ask them. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, so tell me more. Like, what, 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 you know, what makes you tick? Like what's going, you know, stuff. And as soon as I figure out somebody's family, somebody is like their like hobby, somebody's that's writing stuff, somebody's actually within the work, a couple of one or two things that really lights them up, then I know that we got, we, we, we can figure something out, you know, we can help. Because I love your point of like you can't make it all perfect you got to be able to find what lights people up. The second part, I love your definition of it, of success, which is it's a daily pursuit. It's a daily basis. I I think- think And the one thing just
1: about passions is like, let's all be honest with ourselves and understand we are not going to be able to always create a job for everyone's passion.
0: Your 70-30 rule. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and so instead, let's embrace the side hustle. Let people pursue their side hustles, either on company time, or using some of the company resources yeah. as long as it's not a direct com- in competitor of what right, you're building. Right, right. And a sure times it's not. And right. that will actually yeah. go way above and beyond Huge. for your
0: people. Huge, absolutely. I love this quote. I love this quote. Maybe I missed it in the book. I'm assuming it's in the book where you said, millennials are not the problem. They only expose the problem. Not, they, it should be on the cover of this I know. This, is, this is a, this is it. Like, I mean, they're not the problem. They expose the problem. So I think it's a it's a phenomenal quote. and the three big uh, survey results of like what people are looking for and I would just call them people like forget millennial. I think it's no. everybody. everyone. Everybody wants inspiration. They want to know where we're going. like my dog, my five year- old daughter will ask me as soon as she sits in the car, she's like, "Where are we going? Yes. we gotta tell her where we're going. So tell them where we going. Give them autonomy of things that they can own. And then transparency, I love the way you define it. It's the context. It's not like, all right, we're gonna have a weeping session at 2 p.m. Oh. And then, like that's not how you do it. You give them context of why we're here. Don't don't just if you're not, if you're having retention issues, talk about it. Like, hey, it's a retention issue, and here's what we think, why it is happening. Here's the people who are working on it, and we don't have all the answers. Yep. Even that's okay. That's actually better. Instead of saying, hey, we have the answer, we're not going to tell you. Exactly. Like, it doesn't work. So ton of ideas. I'm going to have more in the show notes and a blog and all that stuff on flipmuffel.com later on for you all. Uh, but Chris, give everybody a challenge that they can actually act.
1: So one of the weirdest things that's come out of this book and what I think a lot of the media outlets have uh, hung on to the most is this idea of turning your, answering your lets with a buy when. Mm-hmm. And so we live in a very unaccountable culture. Mm-hmm. We I mean, look at Fire Festival. It's, yeah. it's, these things that have given millennials and, and Gen Z this, this bad reputation. And the, the harsh reality is that it is true, to mm-hmm. a certain extent, is we all want that quick payoff. And there is no less accountable saying than starting an email or a text saying. Let's do this or let's do that. Yeah. So I challenge everyone, answer that let's with a buy when, and it will change mm. your life. And so just take this from a social standpoint. Next time, even following this podcast, guaranteed within the next 24 hours, you're going to end a meeting or see someone in the supermarket and you're going to say, you know, oh, hey, okay, Charlie, I haven't seen you in a while. Let's hang out. Let's yeah. grab coffee. And then nothing happens. Yeah. So instead, answer it with a buy when. Yeah. And people are going to be taken aback. It's like, uh, oh let me check back uh, (laughs) next week. And it's amazing how much that changes your life because it actually makes it happen. So and I've got a lot of fun stories since now that I've kind of hung my hat on that of how it's changed my own life.
0: Yeah. As well as those around. I mean, last time we, like, it was two weeks ago or something yeah. like that we talked By and we one. said, let's do podcasts. And we were like, are we doing the podcast right now? Yeah. Dude, I love that. I think I, I, you know, I think I emailed somebody this morning. Yeah, let's do it. And like, I knew in my heart that maybe I'm not going to do it or maybe that person is not going to do it. And then it remains in the balance of our thoughts yep. and it keeps at you. By yep. I love yep. that.
1: Exactly.
0: Chris, thank you so uh, much, man. This is fantastic. You. Love it. Love it. That's sweet.